welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to Deeper as we continue looking at the Old Testament book written by the minor prophet Zechariah. My name is Clayton Ryan, and this week I'll be chatting with Rod Bailey as we dig deeper into Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 2, verse 13. Welcome, Rod. It's great to have you back in the studio recording the podcast. How are you and the family doing? Nice to be back, yeah. We're um, we're battling COVID again, so yeah. these things happen. Heard the news, so another member of the family fallen. This is right. That's all three of the kids covered in the last couple of months now. Um, <laughs> but we won't Skype too much, Christine and I, because we're sounding a bit croaky today, actually. But we're, we're negative on the rat test, so that's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'd like to joke about the, you know... The older generation's being tougher, but I'm not yeah. sure it's true. Yeah. <laughs> we'll hold on to it for now and we'll, uh, yeah. It's like my bragging with the St. George Dragons. I do all the bragging up front, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm probably going to come crumbling down. Yeah, pre-season, always yeah. do the big sell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough talking nonsense. <laughs> Could you give us a quick recap of your sermon from uh, Sunday to help us get our minds back into thinking of this, the next part of the vision? Yeah, sure. Um, My big question was, why is it hard to trust God with our future? And I had three answers to that question. Um, It's all good sermons too. Because uh, the present (laughs) often looks uncertain. Secondly, because we have to let go of our security. And thirdly, because we have to let go of our comfort. Um, And so that's coming out of, uh, I guess, the the background to uh, the whole book, really, but especially Mm. in this first couple of chapters of God's call for the people to return mm. to Jerusalem and their reluctance to do so because yeah. they've settled after you know ninety years in Babylon. Yeah, your comment about the three points reminds me of an African guy that was at our church in London over for two years uh, at a preaching training school, and he said after going back to Africa. He just said, oh, I really miss British sermons. You know, Africa's 60 minutes, one-point sermon. He goes, <laughs> the UK, 25 minutes, three-point sermon. Oh, it's so much better. <laughs> now, before we think specifically about uh, this passage, I'd like to see if we can add a few more tools into our Zechariah toolbox. So we began in this passage with this vision where we see four horns. Now, horns typically represent power, But if we look at, say, the book of Daniel, we see horns representing kingdoms. Uh, Revelation, it's similar, but it's different entities to Daniel. How are we to understand the horns in Zechariah? Yeah, I think the horns are a little more generic here in Zechariah Mm. than um, perhaps what we get in Daniel. Um, And they're focused on nations that have opposed or scattered um, Judah, Israel, Jerusalem. So that that much we get told um, Mm. explicitly. Um, but, yeah, that sort of leaves us, I guess, guessing a bit or wondering. Uh, we certainly know that Babylon scattered the southern kingdom, as it were, um, mm. just 90 years earlier when they came and exiled the remaining group that was still there in Jerusalem and destroyed the city and so forth. Mm. But, yeah, going beyond that, we're not told. And so I think, as uh, Ken was explaining last week, we, we need to be careful in each of these visions that the angels give us explanations of some aspects and others Mm. are just left and so that we have silence Um, and that does lead to lots of speculation Um, so some commentators have said oh well the northern kingdom was 
effectively, you know, exiled, but of course it never returned, and the Assyrians did that, and so mm. two of the horns are the Assyrians, and, yeah. you know, and the other two horns are the Babylonians, and so, so you get all this kind of um, yeah, consideration from various commentators, but I think mm. we're best just to leave it with the fact that, you know, it's representative of all those that are opposing God's mm. old covenant people. And really, even as they come back into the land, that still exists, and that's yeah. part of the problem. Yeah. And so you've even got local... Um, you know, relations, as it were, in the Edomites mm-hmm. who are taking advantage of the situation and opposing yeah. the Jews and so on. So, yeah, it's broader, I think, than um, just nailing it down to one or two nations. Yeah. And so I think is the key, I think, as you said, look at the look at what we are told. And so it's talking about the ones that scattering the nations. and That's right, yeah. yeah. So what we are told that it's, it's about scattering the Jews, mm-hmm. uh, it's particularly mentions um, Judah and Jerusalem twice, mentions Israel once, which could be a reference to the northern kingdom, hence the speculation that people have, or what about the northern kingdom? But the northern kingdom had ceased to exist 150 years before Mm. the southern kingdom was exiled, so we're going back a couple of centuries at that point. So, yeah, I think we just stay with the bits that we're given directly, and then other bits, uh, maybe we can see some links, um, but we don't want to press that too firmly. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Now, I found it comforting in these um, verses that it's the craftsmen, you know, the engineers, the builders, uh, whatever craftsman refers to, that would both terrify and defeat uh, these the powerful horns. I think it's a comforting assurance that even when there's uncertainty, perhaps even when there's hopelessness, that God is most certainly the one who's in control. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, God's sovereignty is such a... You know, a, a key cornerstone for our understanding of uh, God's character and how we should relate to this world because, yeah, we're surrounded with uncertainty all the time. Mm. And so without a knowledge that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, yeah. um, we, we struggle as we look at things because we feel like it's somehow dependent on us or we're not sure, mm. um, you know, that we can trust the future. But that's the great thing for a believer. And so, you know, there's lots of famous verses like, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. You know, we know that mm. in all good things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, and so on. And, and so yeah. we can be assured that yeah, it doesn't mean that believers will be protected from suffering or difficult mm. things happening. Um, we will still be part of this uncertain, fallen world. Yeah. And yet, we can be assured that God is with us, and we have nothing to fear as a result. Yeah, yeah. I, this keeps bringing me back to the Psalms when you read about David, where. When he goes through all his laments about everything he's facing, the opposition or the the nations like raising up and raging against God, and in the end, his comfort comes in that he can trust in God and he can go to sleep at night mm. because he knows God is in control. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that should relate, I think, to our our willingness to trust God with things, and I think we express that um, in prayer primarily, mm. and so our prayer life will be marked by a trust in God. And, and a willingness to bring things before him because we're not yeah. in control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, last week we saw God will stretch out his measuring line uh, over Jerusalem. But here in chapter 2, it seems that the man in the vision with the measuring line is about to do the same, uh, but seems to be stopped. And so when we look at this in our when we look at this in our staff devotions, I got the sense that this was a bit like Almost like David, you know, when he's counting his mighty men uh, before going into battle, that it's not inherently a wrong thing uh, for this man to be measuring Jerusalem, but rather it's for God to know and decide how big 
his holy city will become, not man. So what's the deal with the craftsman here and the man with the measuring line? Yes, I think it's, as you mentioned, um, you know, in the first chapter, in the first vision, verse 16 of chapter 1, there's a mention Mm. of the measuring line. um, And now this guy is here with the measuring line. Mm. And so it can't be wrong in that sense. And we know ultimately, too, that um, Nehemiah's main task Mm. would be to rebuild the city walls. So um, we, we have to keep all that in mind. And so there's more going on than just... Uh, whether physically a wall will be built or not. Mm. And the interruption for the guy measuring is all about making a couple of points. One, as you say, um, you know, God's got a far grander vision. There's going to be far more people, as he's mm. already said at the end of the first vision. It's going to be full, yeah. um, you know, prosperity. And here we see, you know, a description of all the people and animals that will be in it mm. in chapter two. And so, yeah, it's limiting to think that, oh, we can just draw walls around it. And that's the extent of what God's plans are for Jerusalem. Yeah. But his plans go far beyond it. And mm. really, there are a number of horizons here when we're thinking about fulfillment as well. Yeah. Um, yes, some walls will be built. Yes, Jerusalem will become you know, a city again. Yeah. But it's looking beyond what's going to happen under Ezra and Nehemiah. You yeah. Know, it's looking forward ultimately to a new Jerusalem yeah. where we'll have people from every land and nation. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, we, we need to step back and see uh, what are the biblical principles that we're trying to see here. Hmm. I think there's that, but there's also um, the other focus in this section is really about, well, you don't need to think about walls because your protection is not in the wall. Yeah, and yeah. so there's this uh, focus on, emphasis on uh, God's presence, mm. uh, that if he is with them, then that's all they need. If yeah. you know He's the defense. Yeah. And so walls or no walls, um, if God is not with you, um, then you know, you've got problems. Yeah. And I, I think that's why um, seeing all of Scripture, again, I think Ken might have mentioned this with you last week, mm. um, putting it in the big picture, um, in the book of Ezekiel, we have a lot more information about God departing the temple and leaving mm. Jerusalem. So Ezekiel 10, God leaves his home. But then um, as a new day is envisaged by mm. Ezekiel at the end of his prophecy, yeah. and he sees this return happening, he actually pictures God returning in Ezekiel 43. Mm. And so now that's being fulfilled. God is going to come back. He'll be present in the yeah. rebuilt Jerusalem. And so it's in light of all that that we have to think about God's presence or lack thereof yeah. with, with his people. Yeah, which also reinforces the trusting in God. If we trust in God, we trust in his presence and his protection. Absolutely. Whatever we're going through. Mm. Mm. Now, with all this in mind, could you give us some tips about how we trust in God with our future, perhaps when the present looks uncertain? And perhaps if you could speak into maybe different stages of life that we go through, you're thinking maybe the youth as they're thinking, oh, what am I going to do for a career? Where am I going to go to uni? Mm. What am I going to do? Or perhaps you know, when they get into stages of having children and families or retiring and could you sort of speak into that? How do we trust in God yes. when the future is uncertain? Yeah, our difficulty as humans is that we always think the next phase will be easier. And so when we're at school, we feel we're faced yeah. with these difficult things. And then, you know, when I get out of school, life will be simpler. Mm. And then we're working or we're at university or whatever. And we suddenly find that's even busier. And I've got mm. more questions to answer. And there's more. Um, uncertainty about my future, more things to plan. Mm. And, 
you know, and then we think at that stage, well, maybe, you know, when later down the track perhaps and, you know, if I'm married then all the children have left home and, you know, or maybe when I get to retirement then it'll all be simpler and mm. finally be able to relax and there won't be pressures and decisions and concerns about the future. But, of course, mm. this is never the case. Every time we get to the next stage yeah. we look back and realise how it was much easier. You know, the worker looks back and says, the uni student doesn't appreciate how much time mm. they had because, yeah. look, at you know, I don't have that time now, yeah. and so on and so forth. So that's our struggle as we look about each stage of life. And I think um, the difficulty for the Christian today is that we're surrounded uh, in a society by lots of people saying that you can control the events, that, mm. you know, if you just plan enough, if you have the right insurance, if you mm. make sure you have the right career path, if you get the right education that allows that career path and so on and so forth, then you can set yourself up and, you know, you'll never yeah. be disturbed with your plans. Of course, it's nonsense, you know, next week we get sick and all of that's thrown out the window or whatever might happen. Yeah. And we realize we're not in control. We know that innately underneath, mm. and yet we talk all the time in our society as if we can, you know, make it all happen. And Christians yeah. naturally get sucked into that. That's what we're hearing 24-7. And if yeah. the voices that we hear all the time are our secular world on the TV or the radio, wherever, mm. podcast, then if we're not hearing much of God's worldview, yeah. if we're not hearing from other Christians, you know, illuminating that worldview, then it gets very hard to... I think, shut out this talk all the time that you have to do X, Y, and Z. And the result is that instead of looking to God and being prayerful about things, we're trying to fix things ourselves all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was making me think back to the time Mel and I were in Czech Republic, and the first couple of years, we were only planning one year at a time. We were thinking after the first year, we'd go back, and after the second year, it's, oh, one more year, then it will be fine. And say, oh, one more year and then it will be fine. And once we got to our third year, people would say, how long are you going to be there? And it's like, when God lets me know, I'll let you know. <laughs> I said, I'm done making plans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God always changes them. <laughs> That's right. Now, after the service on Sunday, I was having a, a good chat and I actually thought Sinead did a really good job at 6 p.m. of encouraging us not just to chat about the weekend, chat about the sermon and how we respond. And so I did that with uh, someone I was sitting next to and about the struggle of, of actually letting go of our securities and our comforts and how difficult that is. And I think back to my early working life and the challenge you know, to give some of my, I'd only just become a Christian as I was in my second or third year of work. And just that challenge to give some of my hard-earned salary uh, to the church. You know, the dollar amount at the time seemed so high to give. It's just like, oh, can I really give this much? Like the actual percentage was, was quite low. But as I got older, you know, this was no longer a challenge for me. And it then became about sort of Mel and my time together, like how much can we give to the church? And then it became about whether or not we're willing to move to the Czech Republic. Uh, it seemed so obvious to everyone except us at the time that we should move. But to us, it seemed like a real challenge to do we want to give up our comfortable life uh, in London and move across to Czech Republic to... So, Thinking through all those things with different stages of life that we go through, how can we train our hearts to let go of our securities and our comforts? Yeah, I, th I think it's multifaceted and it's, uh, it's a lifelong 
um, struggle. Mm. So let me say that. And yeah, I find it difficult myself. Um, how are we not to trust in our job or our money or insurance or something else that we're seeking to mm. sort of get control of things? I mean, Jesus says in Matthew six thirty three, seek first my kingdom and righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And mm. prior to that, he's been talking about you know, food and you know, housing and clothing and so on, all the things that our world stresses about. And he points out that the pagans run after all these things. Mm. That's their focus. They're chasing and worried about that all the time. Yeah. If the Christians are the same, then, yeah, we've we've missed the boat. Obviously, we're not understanding there should be a difference yeah. in terms of trusting in God and his work. But how do you do that? I think, yeah, as I've mentioned briefly before, we need to pray a lot about this. I think it takes constant attention because mm. of all the voices that are drawing us in the other direction. I think also we've got to keep hearing God's words so that they're matching and louder even, and that involves us setting aside more time, I think, to read God's word, to mm. be immersed um, in in hearing sermons, in hearing podcasts, in reading good Christian books. If If we're not being soaked in... God's approach to life and what he calls uh, his children to do, then we're going to find it very hard. And I think part of that too is surrounding ourselves with other Christians Mm -hmm. who are going to challenge us, that we're inviting to speak into our life on such things, that keep us accountable, um, Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to start drifting into just thinking in a worldly manner and just looking after our own kingdom, Mm. not thinking about God's kingdom. And so, yeah, I think it's something we've really got to work at over and over. Um, And I don't want to be uh, somebody who's, you know, focused on, you know, oh, well, I don't want to give that much time or energy or, you Mm. know, I can't, you know, we immediately, as you hear that out loud, you think, oh, no, that's wrong. That shouldn't be the Christian attitude. Yeah. But that just seeps into our thinking, um, especially when we get tired, I think. Yeah. I think would it be fair to say, that person who we're going to be accountable to that's going to speak into our lives, if we can get someone who's in a different phase of yes. their life. Because I was thinking, if I was only hanging around people my own age when I was in my 20s, then all I'd probably do is get the feedback that's the same as mine. Um, whereas someone who's older and has experienced going through that might actually be able to speak into it quite differently. Yep, absolutely. And I think we see that in Scripture in some good yeah. examples, don't we? So yeah. It takes yeah, it takes courage and humility, I think, to be willing to open yourself up to, to someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the easy thing, again, our default mm. setting will be, uh, I won't work on developing that mentoring mm. relationship or that friendship that will yeah. challenge those things. That's too hard. I haven't got time for that anyway. Yeah. And so we shrink back just in our own mm. head, thinking about how things are going to work tomorrow or next week, and we get caught yeah. up in the immediate and the task, and we're not yeah. thinking about the bigger picture of God and his kingdom growing. Yeah, yeah. Now, you said on Sunday that following God can be costly. So thinking about a couple of things that are going on uh, within the church now and coming up in the future, what are the costs, say, for those who might actually live in the catchment area uh, in Illawarra that's going to be closer to where we're hoping to plant a church? Or perhaps to the person who gets asked to help out at youth group or kids' church um, or to join a home group or something like that. What are the costs that people at WBC uh, may face in some of these things? Yeah, so there's some big challenges. Um, So say somebody lives in Caldwood and Mm -hmm. they've been hearing for several years now that we're going to plant a church and God willing, perhaps that happens next year. Mm -hmm. Well, then um, 
do I decide with my family that we'll go to this new thing? If I did, there's a big cost with that. Uh, one, mm. I can keep driving back to Wollongong and everything's provided or maybe there's, you know, there's a system there if I've got kids and mm. the programs. But if I'm at this new one, well, probably I'll be running the program because yeah. there'll be limited people and so it'll be all hands on deck mm. and that kind of approach. And so I immediately think I'm counting the costs, the very things we've spoken of, uh, mm. time, energy, money perhaps. You know, it, it's all going to be going above and beyond um, because, you know, my job Monday to Friday may spend all my time and energy, I feel, mm. and therefore to give to something like a church plant, uh, mm. well, you know, then I'm going to lose further time on my weekend. And so my mentality my mentality starts to become inward at that point, and I'm yeah. thinking, what am I going to lose? Yes, yeah. or, or what is being offered to me freely or, yeah. you know, versus the effort I'm going to make. Mm. And so, yeah, there's big, you know, there's costs to consider with every ministry. It's just mm. perhaps more obvious in something like a church plant. Yeah. But, you know, serving at kids' church or youth group on a Sunday or a Friday night, yeah. uh, it's the same thing. Well, you know, it's the end of the week, Friday night, uh, I've had a big week. Yeah. I don't want to be there serving the youth um, because, you know, it's me time and I want to go out and yeah. have fun with my friends. And, you know, and there's something natural about that. Mm. Understandable. We all need to be able to um, manage our time. There's only so much we can do. There are only so many hours in a week. Yeah. And, um, you know, we don't need to burn out and um, be sick because we're trying to take on too much all the time. Yeah. So we do need to be conscious of those things. At the same time, though, I think we're so more aware of those um, aspects that we can be quite reluctant mm. to really commit to things yeah. when I could go above and beyond because I see the great need. Those children are the future of our church those those teenagers on a friday night yeah a youth that really need an older person to speak in their life the mm. influence i'll have on that person is untold yeah in terms of down the track and them maintaining growing in their faith because somebody invested four or five years in that critical yeah period yeah. of their life and so you know, we need to see what uh, is at stake too from the ministry that could be done for what mm. God's calling us to, for the opportunities to serve his people yeah. and not just think about self. Yeah. And so it keeps coming down to me for my kingdom versus God's kingdom. Yeah. I yeah. need to see more sharply what yeah. I'm doing as I shift between the two. Yeah. I remember it, studying seminary, they're saying the statistics, like in most churches you look at it will be 20% of the people that are doing 80% of the ministry on there. And I, yeah. It would be amazing if there was like 80% of the church doing all of the ministry. That would be quite amazing. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> now, you concluded um, with a challenge on Sunday in your sermon to turn our maybes into resolutions. And that immediately made me think of Jonathan Edwards and just reading through his books and the 70 resolutions to help cultivating him um, a growth in grace. And I was reading through them last night, and his first resolution was resolved. I will do whatever I think will be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure for as long as I live. And then the second resolution was resolved. I will continually endeavor to find ways to practice and promote the things from resolution one. Now, Edwards would go on to lead one of the greatest periods of revival that perhaps we've known in the last couple of centuries. And I don't think he's meant to be, or he's been held up as someone that we're to copy, but rather he's certainly someone we can take 
something from his life and faith as a model that we we walk in our own life. Uh, so what would you think about yeah. Edwards? Look, I mean, he's a fantastic example and, mm. you know, he's cited by so many because of his influence and impact. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think the thing he had, which we can all feel um, innately, is... You know, maybe we'll talk about New Year's resolutions at the start of the year. Mm. And we know within a week, you know, we've given up on them. <laughs> yeah. And and if you're like me, you hear a sermon too, and you can be really challenged. God's at work. His Spirit's convicting us of the truth. And we think, yes, mm. I need to do something about that. Mm. And by Monday afternoon, you know, at work, you know, it's just gone completely yeah. from my mind. The thought about, yeah, maybe I'll get on to that has just sort of you know, blown away, as it were. And so how do we shift those, oh, I might do that, or yes, I think mm. I should, or maybe I'll ask that person, or whatever it is, yeah. into a resolution where we're really doing it. Now, for me, yeah, I'm not one for New Year's resolutions. I think yeah. we, <laughs> yeah, they're not worth the paper they're written on. But I think, <laughs> yeah. I think we've got to actually find a way that works for us personally. Yeah. So for me, writing something down and, I don't know, checking it each day or something, that's not mm. what works. But it's me reflecting long enough so I feel like this is something I'm going to keep praying about each day and so I'm going to bring it up myself Mm. Um, I'm going to keep myself accountable even as I pray to God that uh, you know I haven't really addressed that I need to help me as I continue to work at that yeah so yeah this is a struggle for all of us uh, myself included but we've really got to work at not just hearing but responding Mm. and I think this is especially the case when we're thinking about letting go of comforts and securities mm. and uncertainties that we face and giving ourselves wholly to God. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Now, last question. What is your prayer for WBC in response to Zechariah chapter 2? Yeah, well, it's really where I finished, which was the focus on bringing in of the nations, mm. uh, which is really exciting. You know, this huge panorama suddenly jumps out in the middle of Zechariah, yeah. which must have been pretty confronting to the original readers. They're just worried about getting back mm. and starting again in the ruins that was their city. Yeah. Yeah. And here's God giving this picture of all these foreigners pouring into the <laughs> yeah. city and this, you know, which is really looking forward, as I said, to the new Jerusalem mm. and, you know, the new covenant. Like, it's so much bigger than they can in- Envisage, um, But the same is true of us, that we've got to have that grand vision of what God is doing in this world. Mm. I can't narrow the world down to myself and my family, what's going to happen to me tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I need to be thinking, looking up, as it were, and um, seeing that God has got a great desire to gather a people that are his own for his praise and glory. Mm. And I have the wonderful privilege to be part of that yeah. if I will give myself yeah. to serving his kingdom, even in the smallest way. Mm. It just takes... A small step. It's not asking some grand gesture yeah. once off, but it's a, a slow, deliberate uh, effort in one direction you know, for the rest of my life to continue to serve Christ's kingdom. Mm. And um, whatever that looks like as I take part in a local church, whatever that looks like in my family and friends and my workplace, mm. I'm going to give myself to that. Yeah. Wonderful prayer. Thank you, Rod, for your time here today. And thank you for helping us like Sunday and today as well. Just understand and apply. I think chapter two is one of those chapters that at first seems tricky. Um, but actually, after your sermon on Sunday, I thought actually this is something I can understand and apply. So thank you for your, for your work and your word for that. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening and for Mike, as always, for recording. And remember to send me your questions after the Sunday sermon or after the home groups or if you're reading ahead in the book and something comes up, uh, send me through a question uh, through to the email address at church 
uh, so we can incorporate them into the podcast. And I'd like to finish with a short quote from Jonathan Edwards. So it's regarding his 70 resolutions, which I think we can all take uh, perhaps as a thought for ourselves. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, Aware that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do pray that by his grace he will enable me to keep these resolutions, for far as they are in line with his will, and that they will honour Christ. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 